Has fear ever paralyzed you? We know fear can consume our minds and completely freeze any rational thoughts. But think of what can happen if you just put your faith over your fear. Hey everybody, it's Karen G from Tower Hills Communications Team. Welcome to our weekly podcast. You can always find our current happenings on our website at towerhillchurch.org, but I hope you also take a chance this week to subscribe to our Facebook page and also our new YouTube channel. Most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take another step in your faith journey. This week, we're starting a new sermon series called Faith Over Fear. So let's kick it off to Pastor Jason Tucker right now. What do you see? Well, good morning, church. It is great to be here with you this morning. And as we're talking about everything that's been going on in the world, we're getting into this new sermon series that really gets to the heart of it all, I believe, including racism. And that has to do with fear. We've experienced a lot of fear recently over the last few months in a lot of different ways. And I, and I actually think fear is the root of the racism epidemic that we've seen in this country for so many years. We're gonna be talking a lot of things about fear, including racism and racial tension and how to get past that and move past that as, as God's people. But more on that in the next couple of weeks. But today we're starting with this premise of how do you respond to fear? What is the faithful way of responding to fear? Because it's fascinating watching all the different reactions when it comes to fear. You have people who maybe they didn't really care about God and now all of a sudden they find themselves on their knees because of things that have happened over the last few months. Or you have other people that are like, nope, yep, I knew there wasn't a God because of all the injustice we see in the world. All of the horrible suffering that we see. Yeah, see, I knew it. And they kind of double down on unbelief. But then with Christians, it's fascinating. I, I'm, as I talk to people of faith about this, they feel like they shouldn't be afraid, but they can't help themselves. And usually the phrase they begin with is, I know I shouldn't be afraid, but I kind of am. Maybe it's to do with COVID-19 and the whole epidemic, saying, you know, I'm afraid I have an underlying health condition, or my husband or wife has an underlying health condition. I'm scared to be infected, and so I'm not going anywhere. I'm wiping everything down with wipes. I'm being extra careful, or I don't want to get my, my elderly parents or grandparents sick, and so we're going to avoid those family gatherings and things that we normally would love to do because we just can't risk it. We are afraid that something bad's gonna happen because of this disease. Or maybe it's financial, it's saying, you know, I, I've done okay, I've somehow managed to stay afloat during this time, but I don't know how much longer I could do this. I don't know how much longer uh, my family can go without the kind of income we were getting before. Or some of you, you're like, we can't. We're already underwater. We're, we've, we've applied for everything you can apply for, and we're getting no help yet. We don't know what to do. We're at the end of our rope, and we are afraid. Or maybe it's to do with all of the, the protests and everything that have happened around uh, George Floyd's murder. Now, a lot of these things, uh, I think we would all agree and say, you know, this is good. We are fighting. Finally, we are addressing 
systemic racism, and hopefully this leads to lasting change in our country. But there's also a lot of fear. It's like, what happens to the store I work in downtown? Are, are rioters, who I think are different than the protesters, but are rioters going to damage that? Am I going to be able to work and have a job, or am I going to, be able to own my business? Or what happens if this continues to escalate in violence? And so I am afraid. Like, I know I shouldn't be afraid, Pastor, but I am. I want to start by putting you at ease a little bit. Because, you see, I don't think all fear is bad. I don't think being a Christian means you never experience fear. For example, I love to fish. So let's say I go on a fishing trip to the Rockies where I am fly fishing for trout. And I got a nice pile of trout in my keel, and I'm just, I'm loving life. And I turn over my shoulder, and I see this. So how exactly should I respond? Now, as a Christian, does this mean I should just say, you know what? I'm not afraid. I'm just not afraid. I'm going to keep on fishing. I don't want this moment to end. Uh, You know what? The bear's probably more afraid of me than I am of it. Isn't that the most ridiculous logic you ever heard? I, I, I never bought that. Oh, yeah, yeah, the bear's a lot more afraid of you. Yeah, right, no, trust me, I am way more afraid. Anyway, no, I'm going to get the heck out of there. I think there's something that God gave us to help us survive, and that is the instinct of fear. Fear is a necessary survival instinct. And I think God gave us that, that it's God-given so that we would survive, so we wouldn't get mauled by the grizzly bear, so we would know when it's time to run and to flee, that fear is something that we were created with that I think is a good thing. However, every good thing that God created us with has been damaged. It's been damaged by sin. So it's not quite what God made it to be in the first place. Emotions like love, we only have kind of a human capacity to love. God gave us this larger God-sized capacity, but we can't quite manage it because of sin. This is true with fear. Fear, human fear, is broken by sin, and it doesn't always work properly. It just gets out of whack. And that's why you get things like phobias, right? Like crazy fears about all sorts of things. Even like my phobia of clowns. Terrifying. Actually, this one might be legit. But anyway, fear gets distorted because of sin. And so what I think we get at when it comes to fear and faith and love and all of these things is that we're talking about this kind of spiritual fear that stops us in our tracks when it shouldn't. When we should be saying yes to Jesus, when we should be following him, we get so paralyzed by fear that we don't move forward. I think this is the kind of fear that God wants to eradicate. Because I think this is it. Fear can get in the way of trusting God, and that's when it pretty much gets in the way of everything. I don't think having faith and following God means you never have fear. I just think it means you have a little more faith than you have fear. Here's what I mean. Have you ever noticed in your life, when you allow your fear to be greater than your faith, or fear over faith, you become frozen. 
You are unable to follow God in your life because the fear has paralyzed you. And you could probably think of a lot of things in your life where this has happened. But if you, like this sermon series says, if you allow your faith to be over your fear, faith to be greater than your fear, then you can actually move forward. I think this, all of this, has to do with even what's going on in the world now. We're going to look in a moment about the relationship between faith, fear, and love. And so we're starting this series in a little bit, we're kind of going down a rabbit hole of, of how we define love, which I think has everything to do with how we experience fear, including the fear of people who are different than us, which is where I think that racism comes from. We're going to get to that in the weeks to come. But first, the relationship between faith, fear, and love. And so we get this wonderful scripture that, that John, the same uh, John who wrote the Gospel of John, gives us in 1 John chapter 4. We're going to go to that now. He says this, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You may be, if you grew up in the church, you may be thinking about the song that goes with that, right? You're thinking through that song. About 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Let us love one another for love is from God. He who loves is born of God and knows God, right? Whoever does not love God does not, or does not love does not know God because God is love. So we see in this very first part of the passage John defines what love is. Love defined, God is love. And I gave it a capital L there. God is the very definition of love. And this is important because it's not saying that somehow human love has to do with God's love. It's a different love. The definition of love is God. And then you know, opposed to human love that can be broken and fleeting and misguided, and again, sin-damaged love, this love is perfect. Do you remember when you were in school, and maybe some of you students now can remember that in math, when you, you were taught to do a word problem, they'd always say that whenever you saw the word is, you put an equal sign. It was a way that you kind of figure out how to work the problem. And so, in this definition of love, you could say God equals love, which is the same thing because we believe in Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You could say the Father equals love, Jesus equals love, the Spirit equals love. The very definition of love itself. And God-sized love is complex, isn't it? It's not just the human warm fuzzy that we might expect. It's also to do with punishing injustice, making things right, compassion, sacrifice. It's a complex, deep, abiding love. Unlike the kind of love that we typically experience between human beings. And so we say, all parts of God are love. So let's keep going. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So we get love defined and then we get love demonstrated. So okay, 
if God is love, what does this love look like? How does this love work itself out? It looks like Jesus Christ. It looks like the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is love demonstrated. So we are meant to say, okay, well, what does this love look like? Look at Jesus. Remember, Jesus equals love. That's what love looks like. So any other love that we experience is a derivative of that perfect love. Okay, we're not there yet, but let's keep going. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given of us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. So then, not only to get, so love defined, love demonstrated, then love completed. Somehow, the love of God is completed through us. This doesn't take away from God. This doesn't say that God somehow needs us. No, this is how God decided to set up how his love works. It works through us. When love, the Spirit, is dwelling in us, he can now come through us. But this makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Because love is relational. So in other words, I can't be in a relationship of love if only one party loves and the other one doesn't. That's not a relationship. Love has to be received and reciprocated. And this is true in our relationship of God. And God says, this is how you receive and reciprocate the love is they allow that love to go through you to somebody else. Think about the great commandment of Jesus, right? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then do what? Love your neighbor as yourself. It's all together. You can't show me somebody who claims to love God and doesn't love their neighbor. You can't. It means they don't really love God. They necessarily go together. It's the love cycle that comes out in the great commandment. God's love for us is demonstrated. So we receive that love, and that generates our love for God. And out of that love, we allow his spirit, perfect love itself, dwelling inside of us to come out toward other people. God's love to others. And then they understand God's love for us. This is God's love cycle that he created us to embody. And so you might be asking yourself, what in the world does this have to do with fear? We're getting there. We keep going. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. What if we also, maybe to bring some clarity, read that through the lens of Jesus? Let's, let's read this part, this part again. Go ahead and go back to the last slide. There is no fear in Jesus, but perfect Jesus drives out fear 
because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in Jesus. What does that mean? Well, it means if I put my faith in Jesus, I am reconciled to God, and therefore my fear of judgment is gone. That's what he's talking about. Now, I've often seen this perfect love drives out fear as sort of like a Christian bumper sticker, right? That I should never experience fear of any kind because I have Jesus. I don't think that's exactly right. He's talking about something very specific in this passage. He's talking about the fear of judgment. The fear of what happens when I die. Which, by the way, is the biggest fear in human existence. What happens to me after I do? Why is that the biggest fear? Because look at how it controls all other fears. What happens to me when I die, depending on how I answer that question, depends, and I'll show you how afraid I am in my life. What he says is, okay, humanity, put your faith in me, and I'm just going to move that greatest fear of yours off the table. You don't have to be afraid of that anymore. That fear no longer has to paralyze you. Now you are unfrozen. You can move forward to follow God's calling on your life because if God is for us, who can be against us? What else could you possibly be afraid of? And so yes, perfect love does drive out fear. Perfect Jesus does drive out fear. We think, well, what about all those other fears? Well, I'll put it to you this way. Let's go back to the grizzly bear analogy. Let's say uh, as I was getting ready to fish that day, I did have another couple of fears. Fear number one, I knew there was like a, a pin-sized hole in my waders. This may or may not be based on a true story. And I was worried that the cold water would get into my waders and I would be cold and need to finish. And my fishing day would need to end early because my foot was cold and wet. Let's say that was one of my fears. The other fear was losing my favorite fly that I like to fish with. Let's say I had those two fears. And so I went into that day and I started fishing. Okay, then the grizzly bear comes. What happens to those other two fears that I had? They probably have left my mind as I quickly scurry out of the situation. I think there's a spiritual truth in here about how perfect love drives out fear. If he gets rid of the biggest fear, what the heck else fears do we really have to worry about? This is how we become free to follow Jesus wherever he leads us. I'll give you another example. It's kind of like when we all went shopping for the first time in the middle of the pandemic, right? We went shopping. Going, going grocery shopping was just a whole experience. Remember the first time you went to the store? There's a lot of fear. We didn't know how it was going to work. We're, we're scared that the virus could now be on everything. We're wiping it down with Lysol wipes when we get home. Or I don't know if you did that, but we definitely did that. And there was a lot of fear. Like, oh my gosh, is this... Are we putting uh, our lives in our hands when we're going food shopping? And then you didn't die or you didn't get sick. You went again. Fast forward three and a half months later, you're really not as afraid. You just kind of, you put on the mask because you know you have to. You probably stop wiping down your groceries. I don't know, maybe some of you have. But the, the idea is that fear has been lessened because it's been proven to not really lead to something that you were worried about. I think this is a muscle that gets exercised every time we say yes to God in the face of fear. Every time we put our faith more than our fear, we get better at it. There's less fear, more trust. And I think that's the spiritual place that God wants us to live from. Perfect love casts out fear.
does not mean I should never fear, but I should never let fear interfere with Jesus' call to follow. And this, I think, has to do with many things in our lives. The kind of fears that drive us and freeze us from following Jesus are the very kinds of things that turn into racism and some of the other horrible ugliness that we see in our lives, in our nation, in our own hearts. So how do we do that? This is the question as we move forward and and we continue to unpack this idea of fear. The question I think for us is how do we live out? How do we live out this cycle? How can I let Jesus lead through my fear? How do we do it? Right? Because faith in love is a really important survival instinct as well. Whatever it looks like, over the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking about how do we let our faith be bigger than our fear as we follow Jesus through the storm. Amen.